This is Live Limitless episode number 10. Welcome to the Live Limitless podcast where we interview normal, everyday people who decided to push their limits and live a much more limitless and remarkable life. I am your host, Matthew G. Bailey, international man of curiosity, a writer, lifestyle entrepreneur, and connoisseur of world travel. When the interview's over, please take a moment to visit livelimitless.net. Say hello, I'd love to hear from you. You can also sign up for the newsletter or just look at the information on all the past interviews. All right, now that the intro's over, let's do this. All right, welcome to the Live Limitless podcast. Joining us today is uh, Colin Wright, who's an author, entrepreneur, and minimalist who lives in a new country every four months as voted on by his readers. He's currently uh, changed that up for a bit with a momentary home base in Montana, where he and his partners are focusing on their new publishing company, Asymmetrical. You can find him at exilelifestyle.com. How are you doing, Colin? I'm fantastic, Matt. Thanks for having me. I was just wondering, so like coming uh, from a background in design, and I'm not sure if you were living the glamorous life, but I think you were, and for sure, in an over-glamorous city like Los Angeles. <laughs> and, uh, and now you're traveling as a, a minimalist, bootstrapping entrepreneur who owns very few things. So I'm just wondering, like, how would you explain the, the shift in mindset from the Colin in L.A. to the Colin of today? You know, the biggest change probably, it's not that there's no glamour to the minimalist lifestyle, sure. it's that it's a different type of glamour. Yeah. Um, instead of doing things that other people thought were glamorous so that I could live up to their expectations, now I get to do the types of things that I consider glamorous, the the adventurous things, the kind of crazy things. And so, sometimes that means eating at exclusively four-star restaurants and staying in mansions. And sometimes that means <laughs> living in hovels with dirt floors and having no hot water and eating only street food. Uh, and in both cases, those are things that I consider to be immense luxuries coming from the Midwest and the United States, from a very middle-class family. Uh, any kind of variety like that and any kind of new experience and new perspective, that to me is the luxury of it. So it's, it's kind of been a, a refocus and a, a re, uh, redefining what I consider to be glamour and then focusing on that. That's true. I also like the... The ability to be able to shake things up and try different things is, is really what's glamorous. That's huge, I, used, yeah. I used to think that's probably part of the appeal, I would think, to be like an actor, just because just we were mentioning L.A., would be to be able to, to be a different person. Yeah, night. yeah. It seems like that would be interesting. I, I couldn't act my way out of a paper bag. And I, <laughs> I think I was the only person in L.A. who didn't think I could act. Uh, everyone else there seems to think that they can <laughs> career or another, or they'll be discovered and appropriated into that lifestyle. Um, but but the funny thing about that is that even when you get to pretend to be somebody else or, or live a, a different type of lifestyle when you're acting, it's kind of a, a limited thing because generally it's somebody else determining who you get to be True. and you kind of playing out their their art. Uh, I mean, not not to say anything bad about actors. There, there's some amazing actors yeah, out yeah. there. Just that's the reason I know I can't act is because I've seen real actors and the, these people are the real deal. <laughs> um, but it's not it's not the type of uh, 
different lifestyle that I would want to live. I, I like being able to go to a place and then kind of decide who I am in that context as I go along, rather than having a script to read from or, or even interpreting a character in, in a way that I like that's already been created by somebody else. Yeah, true. I always wondered if you are always, if you're such an amazing actor and you're always playing different characters, I mean, sometimes I wonder if they figure out who they are like I would think like if I've played someone for nine months of a year I don't know if I would know who I was anymore yeah yeah <laughs> I guess it depends on if you're a method actor or not and you, yeah. you like change your lifestyle to get into the character or not and I remember at your uh at one of your your talks here in Calgary when you were here you were mentioning how um about, about getting rid of all your stuff and obviously quitting the the job and breaking up with the girlfriend before you began your your exile lifestyle. So I was just wondering, like, were you ever afraid of that decision or did you have any doubts or fears that it might not work out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tons of doubts on multiple levels, too, because uh, the financial one is the big one that most people focus on. And yeah. that that is a concern. And I, I was fortunate in that I was making a good deal of money. So I was able to pay off my debts before I left. And I still had some buffer money left in the bank so I could uh, afford to make some mistakes along the way. Uh, but the relationship stuff too, like, like you mentioned, I, my girlfriend and I had a breakup party. And that was a very tough decision. The, the way that I tell the story now, usually <laughs> it makes it sound like a very straightforward thing. But I agonized over it because she, she was wonderful. And she still is wonderful. Uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful person. We just, we were kind of standing in each other's way. So making that decision, it, it sounds very cold and calculating now to say, yeah, so we decided the relationship wouldn't work. So we decided to have a breakup party, la-di-da, everything's perfect. Uh, but really, it, that couldn't be further from the truth. It, it ended up that way. But in the interim, there was a lot of back and forth, both of us thinking, are we making a really dramatic mistake here? Is, is this something that we're going to regret, something we won't be able to rectify? Will this ruin our friendship as well? Um, there was all kinds of things like that. Just about every aspect of my life, I had doubts. And it was just a matter of focusing on what I thought I could achieve, uh, taking those risks that, that pulled me through it. Yeah, I would definitely think the relationship part is probably the hardest part, especially if you actually like the person. Oh, yeah. It's an easy decision if it's a horrible relationship. <laughs> and it's the same thing with your job. If if you your job is just okay, but not perfect, and if your relationships are pretty good, but not not everything that you want and more, that's that's a worse situation for change. Uh, a kind of a There's no catalyst. There's yeah. nothing forcing you away, pushing you out of orbit. So it's very, very easy to maintain that status quo. And I mean, it definitely could be worse. It's a, It would be a yeah. silly thing to complain about things being pretty good. <laughs> but if you're looking for something exceptional, then it, yeah, it, it's hard to push that away because then you're risking good in pursuit of great. And not everybody's willing to do that. And, and perhaps rightfully so in some cases. And when you first got started on your journey, like besides, besides having a, you know, some funds in the bank to, to back you up, what were some of the initial income streams you developed to support your travels? Uh, initially, the, the first year that I traveled, I uh, continued to run my business more or less the way that I had in Los Angeles. Uh, I just converted it so that I, I got rid of some of the clients, handed them off to friends that I trusted, uh, the ones that needed more in-person care, the, the ones that I would have meetings with all the time and that required a little bit of hand-holding. I knew that wasn't stuff I would be able to continue doing from the road, at, at least not reliably. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. 
Um, and then the other stuff too, I've, I've refocused on things other than creating the actual products. What, what I was doing for people when I was living in LA was building a lot of stuff. I was building websites and logos and style guides and such and uh, working from a laptop instead of a, a big powerful like jet engine desktop <laughs> computer. I wasn't going to be able to do as much video editing stuff, as much motion graphics, as much uh, big convoluted um, photo editing projects. So I did more consulting where I would help people refine their philosophy and figure out how to communicate it uh, and, and then find them uh, people that I could hire the work out to who could do the logos and the design work. So that, that changed a little bit over time. Uh, and then in New Zealand, I ended up having a terrible internet connection, so I couldn't even do that anymore. So I ended up switching over to uh, publishing as my focus, since that was something that I could do both as a service and as uh, products that I'd be creating as I did the services. And it allowed me to create assets over time without needing to be tethered to the internet. Yeah, I can't imagine like editing video and that kind of stuff from a, a developing country. Oh, yeah, it's tough. And just from a 13-inch uh, laptop, yeah. it's the other thing. Uh, I mean, I, I love my laptop. I love how portable it is, but still quite powerful for how small. Uh, but it, it, they simply don't have the graphics cards that you need to really do some of the hardcore work that I was doing. And I think as far as uh, as minimalism as well, like you, I mean, I guess you basically had to become a minim minimalist to live the tra traveling lifestyle, right? And, yeah. Uh, would you, I mean, would you say minimalism is an important skill, not just for the traveler, but for anyone wanting to live like a, a better and happier life? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think as a philosophy, minimalism is very, um, a very effective tool for anybody who wants to achieve anything, uh, whether you want to travel or whether you just want to do better at your job or to have more time to spend on your passions alongside your job. Uh, it allows you to really focus. And I, I would not be able to do what I do today and to have the kind of output that I have and, and to be as happy as I am, honestly, uh, if I hadn't reduced a lot of the, the noise in my life, a lot of the excess, the, the excess stuff and the excess relationships and the excess activities and, and clients and things like that, if I hadn't cut that stuff out over time, as I realized that they were superfluous, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have the time and energy and will and uh, attitude that I have to, to work on the things that I work on today. Yeah, it's amazing how even just uh, material things, like besides being a weight on the bank account, can even just be a weight on you uh, personally. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always weighing in on the back of your mind, and it's stuff that you have to protect, and stuff you have to think. Well, do I need to upgrade this, or repair this, or dust this? Uh, it's the simple, silly things like that 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 weigh on you. And having it may sound silly, but having like more than one of something that you only need one of is distracting. And and you may not realize it until you kind of take a step back and say, why am I not focusing the way that I want to focus? Uh, but a lot of people, when they do step back and kind of look at their life at arm's length like that, the things that are holding them back are really silly, stupid little things. <laughs> it's, it's just things that we're not taught to think about. They're things that are considered to be the norm. So yeah, you, you yeah. don't even consider that you might be able to change that, to bend those rules or to break those rules. Yeah, exactly. I definitely see a lot of people with uh, even furniture that they never use. Mm -hmm. um, I was just went. I was on your website the other day as well, and just looking at all the the books you've written since you first left the country. But 
in one of your your recent posts, you were saying that you never really considered yourself a, a writer throughout life. So I was just wondering, how did did writing become such a a big part of your life, and how did you develop some skills to support it? It's yeah, it's funny actually, because when I was writing that post, I was thinking how strange it was. Because today, <laughs> even when I tell people that I'm an author and like this is the way that I make my living primarily, uh, it's still a little bit strange because it has always been like a secondary skill set, something that I could do pretty well because I'd always read so much. Right. I, I was I've owned thousands of books and read <laughs> thousands more just because I was the geeky kid who didn't want to go play at recess. I would <laughs> sit inside and read instead. So you, you pick up a, a natural vernacular and you, you, your uh, vocabulary tends to be a little bit larger than the average person if you read a whole lot. So writing just kind of came naturally. Writing essays was easy in school. And uh, from high school onward, I've always written a, a newspaper column for a local newspaper wherever I happen to be living. These were things I did for a little bit of extra money, but also for exposure and just for fun. Um, news analysis pieces usually were the ones that I would write for the newspapers. So it allowed me to take what I knew about current events and politics and technology and stuff and, and put that in perspective for people, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, but but that's, that's kind of the way that it's evolved over time, where I've done it in little bits here and there. And then I got kind of a voice uh, by the time I started up Exile Lifestyle. But uh, if you look back at my old posts on there, people tell me this all the time. Like they look at my old posts and my current ones, it's like a completely different person wrote them because there's been so much development in the last four years, just in terms of writing, um, writing from a standpoint that's more me, it's saying the things that I want to say, not being so concerned about the proper way of doing structure or removing my voice to be unbiased or anything. Um, I'm able to write more like I speak today. And that development has been wonderful. And I think that's part of why I'm able to do the publishing thing now with more success, because uh, what I write is is mine. And nobody's going to write exactly like I do. So it's kind of my niche, whereas I, I, I haven't always had that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, stigma, especially with writing, that you you know have to be somewhat perfect before you start. But I definitely think, even when I look back to... Uh, my old blog, it's also very, like, very bad. Mm. I left it up there, but it's, like, it's pretty embarrassing, right? And yeah. The, the funny <laughs> thing, though, is that, uh, like, it's not bad necessarily. It's just not as good uh, looking back from, from the perspective, the, the context that you're in now. Uh, a lot of the emails that I get, I, I get a bunch of emails every day from people who have read different things. And I still get more people writing me about my old books that I'm embarrassed about, <laughs> the newer books that I really am proud of. Uh, so the original books that I put out back in the day that when I was first beginning to write that I, I look at them and I just cringe with embarrassment, but, but to somebody they're good and to somebody they, they are delivering information that they need and they're, they're readable. They, they enjoy it. And, and some people really, really like the writing style even. So that's why I leave my old blog posts up too, because to somebody potentially they're useful, even if I don't think personally that they're the best that I can do. And for anyone who's wanting to start writing, I guess that's probably a great place to start is to really just start writing. Yeah, exactly. And you'll never get better if you don't write. Uh, it, people tell me all the time, I'm a very slow reader, so I don't read very often. Well, you know, that's why you're a slow reader. <laughs> you just need to read more, read a lot, and then you become a very fast reader. And th the same is true with writing. 
people say I don't write because I'm a bad writer. Well, one informs the other. You you get better by doing it, and, and you're not going to get better just by sitting and thinking and hoping. Uh, just do it and know that your stuff will always be bad uh, to a future version of yourself. And <laughs> that that just means that you're growing. If you can look back at a book that you writ, wrote like two years ago and say that it's the best you can do, then somewhere along the way you've stopped growing, and you need to really figure out what's going on with that. Yeah, it's a really good point, and. Um, for anyone who is like just starting out lying, like whether it's blogging or, or writing a, um, or some sort of business, like what do you think is would be some like important steps to to get their first hundred fans? Let's say. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. I I think it's important to tell the people that you care about that you know already and less <laughs> about what you're doing, so that they can give you some uh, initial encouragement, which is always nice to have. Um, but putting yourself out there is a big deal. It's partially just being bold and brazen and being yourself so that you're not just trying to pretend to be somebody else. You're not mimicking somebody else and hoping to be them. Um, and then uh, in interacting and providing value. That, that's the big thing that's worked for me and that's worked for a lot of other people whose work I respect, especially online, is that you just you, you put out as much value as you possibly can and then eventually that starts returning to you. It's kind of like... A, like investing, like meeting somebody new, doing something nice for them right out the door. And that's the better way to build a friendship than going up to somebody and asking them for something first. Totally. Uh, so when you start writing, don't expect to make money from it right away. Don't expect to become famous right away or to get a huge audience right away. It will take as much time as it takes. And uh, j just make sure that what you put out there is the best that you can do in that moment and uh, that you're willing to take feedback, but also not changing yourself to suit other people's preferences. Right, right. And and also, as if you currently let your audience vote on where you travel next, do you think it's also important to like have some sort of story like this? It of... certainly helps. It, it it doesn't hurt um, to have that kind of concise kind of elevator pitch of what it is that you do. Something that you can ramble off really quickly when people ask what's a what, what your blog is about or what your book is about. It's not completely necessary, and sometimes it could even be considered gimmicky, um, which is something you kind of have to walk that line between something that's interesting and gimmicky. You don't want to fall too far on the side of gimmicky just doing it for the sake of doing it. <laughs> but, but if you have a captivating story, some kind of interesting plot point in your life that you can tell about or some story about why you're writing or what you're writing about, whatever it is, if, if it's something unique or something interesting to even just a small audience – Tell that. Tell it that way and make it as concise and understandable as possible. And that makes it far more likely that uh, you'll, you'll get that good word of mouth the, where people will check out your blog and then share it with people because it's something that's understandable as opposed to just putting up a blog and saying, I'm going to write about whatever the hell. Uh, <laughs> say, I'm going to write about this and this is why. And that, that makes your purpose statement very understandable and uh, therefore transferable. Right. And what would be your take on this like whole lifestyle design cliche kind of thing? Because I was just like, for me, obviously, I mean, it's important to to definitely figure out the lifestyle you'd like so you don't get trapped living when you don't want. But I think it's definitely become so populated with the with people who are just saying to quit jobs and start businesses and travel the world. I'm just wondering like what your your take is on that now. 
I, I, I agree that I think it's kind of a, a very overpopulated space. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I yeah. mean, if people imitating each other because they want what the other people have, uh, that's, that's just going to happen no matter what. True. I think trying to be the next Tim Ferriss is a bad idea because there's already a Tim Ferriss and he's damn good at being a Tim Ferriss. <laughs> um, so you're never going to be a better Tim Ferriss than he is. And the same with any other internet or author personality. Uh, it, it's something that you have to make your own. And, and there's valuable tools. I, I kind of look at it like religion, where I'm not a religious person, but I think every religion has something of value that you can take away from it if you learn about it. And the same is true with different gurus or different people with these like 80-20 principles and such. There's valuable things in all of these different places. Just don't be dogmatic about it. Don't, don't subscribe wholesale to any one of these niches, and then you won't get stuck. You, you won't be kind of like the cookie-cutter lifestyle design guy. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, if you say that it's somebody's a lifestyle design guy, you kind of know what to think. They're they're probably white and middle class and from a developed country, and they want to move to Thailand. And like it's this it's this list of things, these attributes, and then you just become this this stereotype. And, and that's not you. Like no nobody fits that stereotype perfectly. Instead, take the tools and use them to to move towards something that you really want, as opposed to what these other people who whose work you admire really want. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think like some of that that some digital nomads are kind of trading in just one rat race for another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be that way for sure. And especially uh, if you are in a race, if you're racing against all these other people who are trying to be cookie cutters of each other, that, that's a terrible way of doing business. And, and it actually completely goes against the tenets of what they're teaching each other. Um, they're just kind of sharing this idea. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. If you really, really, really want to you know, quit your job and move to Thailand and start an affiliate marketing business or whatever the hell, um, do it. That's cool. If you're passionate about it, that's awesome. But in a lot of cases, the people that I meet who are doing this, they think it's really cool that they're beating some kind of system. But they don't really have any direction beyond that. And it's not, uh, it's not a goal to kill your old goals. Kill, killing your old goals to have a lack of goals is not like a valid goal that will keep you sustained. Uh, instead, figure out what you want your life to look like and use some of those tools to get there and then develop your own and share them with people. Yeah, I think it's kind of, if you're doing it that way, you're kind of missing the, the initial point of the, the four-hour work week. Mm -hmm. And... I noticed a lot lately too that people uh, a lot of talk about social entrepreneurship. Is this like the new lifestyle design? Mm. You think is it kind of like um, obviously like it's a good thing if people are becoming uh, more socially cautious with entrepreneurship. But do you think it's just a fad or? I, I think okay. anything has the potential to be a fad, and I, I think there will be people who stick with it. Um, again, I, I would say the same thing that I said for lifestyle design. If it's something that you really believe in, awesome. If it's something that you want to learn more about, then do it. Go experience it, and then take what you can away from that and bring it to another field or another goal that you happen to have. But d don't lose yourself trying to be a cookie-cutter version of somebody else because they seem cool. Right. On your... Um about page as well you go into some details on your philosophies in life and uh i'm totally in sync with pretty much everything you've written there and just after reading a lot lately about uh the philosophy of stoic mm -hmm. a lot I, I mean i can at least see how important it is to have a good philosophy and yet like how neglected this area really is in life and in school mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff so it's like how important do you think it is to have a, a philosophy of life I, I think it is vital 
but I would also add to that that probably any philosophy that already has a name is not going to be perfect for anybody. Sure. Uh, kind of like the lifestyle design stuff. Uh, pick and choose. Take stuff where you can find it. Like humanism, I, I associate very strongly, but it's not perfect for me. It's not exactly what I believe. So to tell somebody that I'm a humanist would be a little bit disingenuous and misleading. Uh, but you know, there's there's elements of it that I really do believe. So it's an easy thing to point to and say, this element of humanism, that's awesome. This element of stoicism, that's awesome. This element of minimalism, that's awesome. But not slapping a label on yourself and then deciding that you'll adjust the rest of your life to uh, to take on the other attributes that you don't currently uh, do it that way. Don't don't try to to fit your uh, square peg into a round hole uh, because it, then honestly you lose your edges. You lose what makes you special. And as soon as you start to identify yourself in terms that other people have defined, uh, it, you you've started to lose yourself. You you've sanded off some of the rough edges that make you you. Yeah, that's true. So maybe it could be called a uniqueism. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> just, like I mean, like for me, I've got colonism. Which <laughs> it sounds like something that the Europeans did back in the day to the third world. <laughs> there but, you go. but not not colonialism. Uh, colon, you know, I, I develop my own philosophy and it's ever evolving. And because I'm the only one who follows my exact philosophy, I can change it whenever the hell I want based on new information and not have to answer to anybody. And that's personally what I think everybody should do. If you're doing anything else, then you're taking on somebody else's dogma and you're trying to live up to their standards and not yours. And it's funny, like one of your philosophies listed was just living. And, mm -hmm. it, and it seems like, I mean, obviously you, you said it yourself, it seems so simple, but uh, to want to truly live. But I, I think like you're right that so many people kind of forget this along the way. Like, what's your, your take on that? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of what I have to say. And I actually, I've got this book coming out on the June 25th called Act Accordingly, where most of the book is kind of really ridiculously easy to understand common sense. But it's stuff that people don't think about. And, and that we forget kind of along the way when we're looking at life as this very complex, uh, utterly strange and hard to grasp type of thing, when in reality it's not. If you look at the fundamentals of it, why would you not want to live your life? Uh, and the answer is, is that most people say, well, I'll live eventually, but for now I'm going to earn my right to live. <laughs> and it, that, that to me just, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not a valid use of my time of the incredibly limited amount of time that I have on earth. Uh, I'm going to spend that the way that I want to doing the things that I want to. And then knowing that it kind of shapes everything else that I do. And it, it's just something that people forget to do. They, they look at goals and they set strange goals that don't sync with what they actually want and they take jobs that don't sync with what they actually want. Um, getting down to those fundamental core values, though, that, that really guides your every other action. And then your actions make a whole lot more sense. Whether they're standard or non-standard, they are building towards something that you can fundamentally look point at and say, this is what I believe. Yeah, I think that's one of the kind of the key mistakes, I guess you could say, with, with like the notion of retirement. Right, because a lot of people. I mean, it's it's fine to to work all your life if it's something you enjoy. But I think a lot of people just get lost in that trap where it's like to save as much as you possibly can so that you can retire. Yeah, and then um, use it. But at that time, you might not even make it. First exactly. of all, exactly, you could die at any moment. And any even moment. if you do, you've lost a lot of the ability you would have had in twenty. Yeah, 30. exactly. That that was what did it for me. Actually, kind of 
putting things in perspective. When I was uh, 24 and I was looking at my life and I, I had plans and I was going to retire early and stuff, but I was still going to lose my 20s. <laughs> I wasn't going to have my 20s. And the things that I wanted to do were things that I wanted to do as a 20-year-old, as a 20-something. And so it, it simply didn't make sense to continue to tell myself someday, you know, to, to promise myself that soma that uh, in, in the book Brave New World, that's the, this drug that has no side effects that all the workers are promised at the end of every day. And it's kind of a metaphor for heaven, uh, the idea that work hard and suffer now, and then someday you'll, you'll get satisfaction. You'll be able to take the holiday that you want. And that's not, that's not me. I want to take the holiday now. And it, it's far more difficult to figure out how to make that work and to do work that you enjoy and fund the holiday that you want to take. Take. But if you do it right, uh, when people ask you what your work-life balance is, you won't be able to tell them because your work is your life and your life is your work. And you know, like you were just saying about retirement, I can't imagine ever wanting to retire. Anytime I try to take a break from work, I get bored out of my mind because I love my work. It's part of what makes me so happy. Uh, so figuring that out and making sure that you can do it now, start doing it sooner and get better at the stuff that you love doing, then you can continue to do it later. And it also gives you more options should you want to change direction down the road. Yeah, it's funny how that works. I mean, I know a lot of people who are retired and, uh, you know, I mean, they're happy that they're not working that job because they didn't like it. But at the same time, they're not happy because now they don't they, they don't really have anything to associate themselves to. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any hobbies anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you can avoid that. Just most people can. I mean, I don't yeah. want to say this like it's some absolute thing. Not everybody's passions uh, are workable. Right. Not everybody has passions that they can uh, incorporate into their living. And in some cases, people love to divide their lives. They like to have the work and they like to have the play. And that, that's totally legit, too. I'm not trying to, uh, to crap on anybody else's ideal lifestyle. But uh, in, in a lot of cases, at least 50% of the people that I've met, at least, there is a way to do it. It's just hard. <laughs> and yeah. it's not something that, that uh, society, school, or your parents or anybody's going to tell you about because it's not the, uh, it's not the traditional storyline. It's not the way that we've been brought up to behave. Um, so you kind of have to blaze your own trail. And that, that is absolutely terrifying because you might fail. And you might fail repeatedly before it actually works out for you. Yeah, there's a lot of risk and uncertainty. And, and one of the things I've been talking about lately, which is just like our limiting beliefs that we have, right? So as a as a traveler too like how how important would you say travel is on having the ability to open someone up and change their mindset or or challenge their beliefs uh, for me, it was one of the best things I ever did for, for those uh, aspects of my life to, to finally get some perspective outside what I could read was huge for me. And uh, it's not the same for everybody. Some people travel when they're younger. I didn't. Um, so for me, travel was this big eye-opening experience and, and continues to be. I mean, I, I've been doing it more or less full-time for the last four years, and it's still every time a new experience, every time this big shock to my system, and it rocks my world and makes me reconsider everything, and, and I love that about it. Uh, not everybody will get the same thing from that. 
uh, some people will, will get that experience from other avenues, but um, finding what it is that does that for you, that challenges you, and that takes you out of your your habits and your routines and and your normal way of thinking that actually makes you think about things that otherwise you wouldn't think about, that I think is uh, vital for, for personal growth if you want to make sure that you're on the right track. Yeah, and I think when it comes to travel, it definitely... Uh, it's also how you travel because I wrote something the other day that was based upon like that it's a, a great investment to travel and someone commented that it can't be a great investment without the a, mon- a monetary return, right? Which is a very like narrowed view on investment. But but even if, if you spend all your time just in resorts or on beaches, you're probably not going to have the same life-changing experience as you do where you move to a new place every four months or for someone who goes to a, a developing country. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot less likely at least because there's a chance that you still could. You could sure. see or experience something. But the real value there of traveling is getting out of uh, the familiar, getting away from the familiar. And if you're going to a place that is essentially just like the place that you came from but with maybe more hot tubs, <laughs> that, that's not going to instigate a dramatic reanalyzation of what you've been doing and how you're living your life. Whereas if you go to a place that has dramatically higher or lower standards than what you're accustomed to or different food or a different language or whatever, uh, that's what's going to kind of pop you out of your, uh, your, your bubble and, and make you take a look at things uh, outside of what you're familiar with. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I mean, last but not least, I was wondering uh, if for listeners who are, you know, they're getting excited now and they want to shake things up and try something new and whether that be public speaking course or visiting a, a different country, but they're afraid or held back by some limiting beliefs. Like what would be your advice? Um, uh, two pieces, one that's philosophical and one that's practical. Uh, the, the philosophical one is to realize that people can have different beliefs and still be right. Like both of them be, be correct because uh, right and wrong are determined by how you grew up and your experiences and your parents and your jobs and like everything about you that makes you you. That's what determines your philosophy. So uh, it, realizing that, uh, that there are more rights and wrongs than, than you <laughs> might think, uh, that's something that allows you to to more easily pop in and out of uh, your, your habitual thought processes. And then on the practical level, uh, doing something dramatic that forces you to see things from a different perspective is a really great step. And in some cases, that'll be something big and dramatic, like uh, like traveling, uh, or it could be something very small and stupid, like taking a different path to work. Um, those little things can be just as impactful as the big things. And, and one can lead to the other, the big things to the small things or the small things to the large things. But making it a regular part of your lifestyle to try and shake yourself up and to try to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and to try to hold uncomfortable thoughts in your brain and see the rightness or wrongness of them despite the fact that you don't immediately, uh, these are all incredibly valuable things that will push you toward a, uh, a consistent lifestyle of uh, personal experimentation. That's awesome. I, I love the insight on that. That's kind of like the direction of where I wanted to take uh, Live Limitless was not, was not to just like encourage people to have to quit their jobs, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally not necessary. The, the small things, honestly, have probably been more impactful for me over the years than the large things because the large things are big 
like parallax shifts where suddenly everything looks different, like very suddenly, whereas the small things have been very small incremental changes over the years. And with enough of that over time, it's uh, kind of the difference between like a rocket booster and a solar sail where one is an explosion and one is just like harnessing photons from the sun to slowly build up speed. Uh, so the solar sail approach is, is much better long term and it makes sure that you continue to do this even if uh, you're not traveling all the time. So great insight. Well, thanks, Colin, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks again for having me. And the the book you have, Act Accordingly, that's coming out when? June 25th. All right, awesome. I'll put a, a link up on the site as well. And uh, you can also catch Colin at exilelifestyle.com and uh, asymmetrical, asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll learn English one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on and uh, have a great day. And I'll... Uh, Catch up with you at World Domination. Good deal. Yeah, see you there. All right, take care. Well, that's the end of episode number 10 with Colin Wright. What an amazing interview. Uh, great guy. I had the opportunity to host him here at my house in Calgary when him and the minimalists were here. Uh, fantastic, guys. Great insight into life. So I really hope you liked that interview. Uh, if you have a question for him, feel free to leave it on the blog at livelimitless.net, and I'll see if he can answer that for you. You can also stop by his blog and say hello. And uh, other than that, please uh, take a moment to sign up for the newsletter at livelimitless.net so that you can uh, learn when the next posts are coming out and stay in touch. Have yourself a great day, and we'll see you again next week.